Welcome to Control-Alt-Revolt, the podcast. I'm Nick Cole. I'm Single White Medusa. And this is an emergency broadcast. No. Lately, Alex Jones's have all been emergency broadcasts. <laughs> I know, but Until as I... he says, he's like, that's because it's never been crazier. I know. And like, it's... I'm like, well, you have a point. Yeah. <laughs> it's enjoyable. I know. Yeah, it is. Other people's doomsdays are my entertainment. Hey, I mean... If it's doomsday, it's doomsday. Might as well like have a good time while we're yeah. while it's happening because <laughs> we can't. There's not a whole lot we can do to control it. I mean, I think we're all trying our best to fight it, but there's only so much we can do, and might as well have fun. <laughs> I think when you're in uh, the death camps, mm-hmm. that you should be the kind of person that looks over to prisoner number three, four, six, seven, eight, one, and says, "Hey, smile. It can't get worse." I almost feel like, I don't think you quite did it, but I almost feel like you did the Les Miserables Jean Valjean prisoner number. It's like in one of the Les Miserables songs, 30601 or something like that. If it's, if there are any musical theater nerds out there, they probably know. I would uh, know if it was a girl, I have a girl song, but it's a guy song, so I don't know it super well. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen the musical Les Miserables. I've never listened to the soundtrack, so it's, it's pretty, I don't think I'm close, but, you know, that would be weird. That'd be weird if I It was, I like, pretty in. close. I don't think it was exact, but it, like, really reminded me of that song. I could hear it in my head. Yeah. It's this really awesome, like, rock tenor moment, kind of. We can talk about a fun opera experience that the Medusa and I just had hmm. in which um, we were watching a movie... And they played uh, an operatic piece that she had sung. And have you ever tried to dunk a cat in a bathtub? That was how she felt at that moment. Do you mean because I was like, they lowered the key. <laughs> they lowered the key. No. She cheated. Like, oh, it's not that the one? The PTSD you had. As you like. Oh, the different one. The chorus song that was the most stressful chorus song that we ever, ever had to sing. Which is called the Humming Chorus from Madam Butterfly. And if you hear it, even I'm like, why was why is that hard? It sounds so simple literally you're humming like everyone's humming in the chorus and no one would understand unless they had to sing it why it's stressful because even I'm like that sounds so peaceful and nice um it was like you run out of breath constantly and uh, for the second half of the song and especially the end the sopranos have to hum really 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 high and there aren't that many of you and you feel super exposed and you're like humming with your mouth closed and uh at one point in one concert I'm pretty sure I was the only one doing the last high note and holding it, and I felt so alone, and it was so scary. So yes, I had a little PTSD stress when I heard that song. That's true. And the conductor used to drive you nuts because he would keep making motions for you to be quieter. Not just me, but yeah, like, so you're you're basically doing like the most epic job that you can at that, like, of being high and quiet, and you're like, yes, I've got this, I've nailed it. This is the most quiet I can do my high notes this is I'm like I'm so proud of myself this is great I'm blending and then they're like not just at you but at all of you you know the conductors up there cringing and going like quieter 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 and you're like ah I can't go quieter like this is so quiet what do you what do you want so yeah yeah I I've watched the whole thing you know mm-hmm. you're you're you and your soprano sopranos are a nutty bunch already it's stressful. It's like you guys are already high strung. Well, let me tell you what it always felt like to me. Those yeah. moments, you feel like literally a tightrope walker. Right, and like so that's what it felt here's like how to I would me. describe it. Imagine trying to sing non-existence 
and yeah. then told to be quieter. Yes. And and it's like, uh, <laughs> it. I can't do more nothing. I know. <laughs> and the guy, and like this, you know, like the weird Aspergery music nerd is up there who's the conductor. And he's making these pained faces because all musicians make pained faces regarding music because for some reason it resonates to you guys physically. Mm-hmm. Whereas if the rest of us hear a missed note, we're like, what ifs? You well, know, but, the but, and, is... but then like, you know, like you take it personally as an insult and then you're told. And, and then also the part of like the thing that a soprano does is they're heard. That's the one thing they do. Like you can hear a soprano. Yeah, because you're the highest note. And now you're being told, yeah. like, the oxymoron of, like, sing so that I can't hear you. Yeah. Like, and then you guys are all kind of Asperger-y, so that kind of, like, it, it's funny, like, it was a study in psychological warfare, just watching the whole thing. Well, and, like, it takes more breath and more support to, like, sing higher. Yeah. Like, it's just hard, like, it's harder, and I don't mean that, like... But, you know, like, yeah. yeah, if it was lower, it's like, okay, no problem. I can be quieter. But, like, that is really hard. But you literally, like, oh and, my gosh. And, and PTSD is an overused term, but you literally got it and had it and then had a reaction in the movie theater. We're seeing House of Gucci. And it's sort of used in, there's a couple of operatic pieces that are used. And you began to, your skin began to crawl and you weren't comfortable in the chair. I felt out and of you breath. Were, yeah, you, you felt, like, claustrophobic. It was... <laughs> And I was like, calm down, (laughs) lighten up, here, stick your face in the bucket of popcorn and breathe, (laughs) breathe a little butter, breathe a little theater butter. Yeah. That's the kind of paramedic treatments I provide. (laughs) I just show up to the crime scene, the accident scene with a bucket of movie theater popcorn. I'm like, this don't bring you back. I don't know what will. Narcan ain't going to (laughs) work. No, it worked well. The Narcan was, or the mm, movie theater movie butter theater. popcorn? We didn't have the Narcan, so the movie theater popcorn was it was a pretty good stopgap. If they made uh, Narcan or heroin in movie theater butter popcorn flavor, I'd take it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would. I still wouldn't. You could you could say in, you could give me preparation H. And be, <laughs> be like, this is preparation H, but it's movie theater butter popcorn. I'd be like, I'm in. <laughs> I don't care. I don't know. You're crazy. Listen, again, again, I say to the big pharma companies, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you make movie theater uh, COVID vaccine? Butter popcorn. Movie theater butter popcorn movie vaccine. You almost would have had me. I would have had to take out my 20-sider and save versus getting vaccinated if it had been in movie theater... uh, butter popcorn flavor yeah and i have an iron will i am a stubborn child you know i i am going to be the last man standing in this equation yeah and but the movie theater popcorn would have been a siren song to me (laughs) so if it was to me imagine all the fat sacks of fat out there that would just failed you're like well maybe freedom and maga not so much it tastes like movie theater butter popcorn you know. Or you could just go to the movies and get actual butter popcorn and not be vaxxed. <laughs> that's what I would say. Like, that's the whole con. Like, or you could just stay home and watch your 90-inch Costco screen and make your own damn movie theater butter popcorn. Mm. But these two idiots sitting in this car making this podcast, for some reason, they have to go to the movies. Well, I think it's because we work from home, and so sometimes you want to, like, get out and just... You know, get a change of scenery. It's more than that. It is. Uh, The movie theaters make me feel invisible. Okay. And so, like, and that's why I pick the seating that I do, and I pick the shows that I do, and I pick the theater do. I just, I feel like 
I'm stepping out of space time. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I can just, I can be invisible here. Yeah. I don't have to participate in the world. Yeah. And there's no, like, And home, you can't have that at home. At there's home, no home yeah. stuff that can pull at you. Right. Like, at home, you're like, oh, maybe I should, oh, man, the dishwasher needs to be unloaded. Maybe I yeah. should go do that. Or maybe I've watched yeah. enough of this. I'm going to yeah. jump up and... You know, the movie theater is, I don't know, it's fun. And yeah. I like the big, I like the big screen. I That's like the true. big sound. And the, I mean, the recliners. If you I go like to the, like the yeah, ones with the recliners, yeah. it's pretty comfortable. Yeah. That's true. They just have to be only a few people in the theater. <laughs> Not too crowded or it ruins it, right? No, we just went to a movie theater and like 20 people showed up to go to that movie we wanted to go to. So we just drove away. <laughs> it's like we 20 is too good. much. We need, we need like one other lonely widower in there with us and sure. that's, that's all we can take yeah and he's kind of like way back in yeah. the further... i prefer a she i'm a he is oh, too oh, okay well you said uh, widower widower is a male oh, widow is, that... is a i female, did not but... know i thought you could be a female widower <laughs> not technically but i guess you can say whatever you want but usually widower is male widow is female ah i see i did not know yeah and i write books for a living now you know. <laughs> you learn something every day. Mm-hmm. Things are really uh, falling apart in Los Angeles. Whoa, boy, are and they. And L.A. Yeah. Like, I know people now that are being told not to wear jewelry on the streets of L.A. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I had to cough and then I had to burp. And now the Medusa is laughing at me. <laughs> it was like a lot. As you get older, you really got to get into uh, working it through, you know. And like sometimes you have a, like a burp when you're older, and uh, you feel like you've had a philo- philosophical change in your outlook. You're like, ah, I see things differently. I feel like that now. was probably one of those because I was like uh, three and one kind of like there was a uh, lot going. On. I'm seeing where I could make some adjustments <laughs> in how I live my life, and. Uh, and I'm willing to commit. So that's the kind of pro-level podcasting you get here at the Control-Alt-Revolt podcast. But things have really uh, been getting out of hand in L.A. There's been uh, a rash of restaurant robberies. Like brazen, like they just come in and shake you down. Like at high-end restaurants. Not like they ain't robbing people at Chipotle, you know. They're going into where people actually have money. They're not trying to like, you know, at Chipotle... They lay out that, do you want guac with this? Like, you know, can we get you a credit app and finance this two scoops of guac? You know. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> why are you? Because yeah, I ripped off that good. joke from somebody? Yeah. Yeah, well, he doesn't, he don't care. It was either special. That was Gary Gulman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, the big decision of the guac. Yes. When you go in there and you build the burrito and they save that guac at the end and they roll it out on you like you, like, uh, like, and they ask it with this, like, can you afford this guac? Because once it goes on, you've purchased it. I hate Chipotle. <laughs> I hate those bastards. But with the high-end restaurant robberies, one of them at least, but one of them that we read about was not just a robbery. It was literally a, they gunned down this man, like, leaving the restaurant. That was, was it a woman one. or was it a man? Or was, what I was the socialite one? That was a separate one, I that think. That was a separate one. Yeah, yeah, they've been shooting people. Oh, well, then, yeah, there was the one um, where the 17 dudes, 12 dudes That's the one. shot. They were trying to rob her. Apparently, the story now is she had a purse or, or something. And mm-hmm. they do seem to be going after purses because um, people need high-end purses because they're so upset about COVID or racism or something like that. Ask a <clears throat> Jen Saki bomb. 
That was her answer. Like they said, why are, why do you think people are looting? And she's like, well, I think they're, I think it's because of COVID. That's you're like, oh, okay. Well, why are they looting Louis Vuitton? Yeah. Or as someone put on your (laughs) signal group, looting, looting Vuitton. Looting Vuitton. (laughs) Um, But this article I found interesting for a number of reasons and it's not just the upfront stuff, and we'll kind of we'll kind of riff on that as we go through in the jazz scattings that I do. If the Medusa would go ahead and break it down. All right. The headline in L.A. Times, which is a garbage newspaper, but we're going to read this article anyway because it's interesting. Armed robbers break into Palisades' home during holiday party. And in case you're not from the area, you don't know the area super well. The Pacific Palisades. I don't even know that much about it, but it's like a super wealthy area of LA on the coast would you say this is how wealthy it is Mm -hmm. one Trump has a golf course there that's true but it's so wealthy that they have never developed it and it's primo real estate development property like they develop it like Monterey style like just a few things here and there and blah 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 but like it's an entire I don't know what you call it like a massive or like a headlands but it's huge and it's this giant blank open space in the urban sprawl of LA you can you can kind of see it from where we live. And I've always been surprised that it's never really been developed. But the reason for that is the people... Like, well, when Tiger Woods had his crash, that's where he was. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. it's kind of that crowd. Yeah. So it says, An outdoor holiday party in the Pacific Palisades came to a crashing halt Friday night when two armed robbers broke into the residence and stripped guests of jewelry, phones, and a watch, according to the homeowners. The robbery happened on the 1200 block of Rimmer Avenue at about 7.40 p.m., the Los Angeles Police Department said. The owner of the home, who asked not to be named, said two partygoers came inside the house to retrieve their purses and were confronted by two men with guns. The men took jewelry, iPhones, and an Apple Watch from the women and then left, the owner said. It's more frustrating than it is scary, the owner told the Times. I feel lucky that no one got hurt. The the victims of the robbery, however, were quite shaken, he said. So there's a couple of things right off the bat that don't pass the smell test for me in this article. But I think the giveaway is the owner doesn't want to be named. So my guess is there's some things that were stolen that they don't want reported. Hmm. So I don't know, but like... If the guys are already in there robbing, why do they take these two chicks' purses and an Apple Watch? Yeah. You know, and some jewelry. Well, like, if, if all the purses are, like, in a purse room or something yeah. like that, why don't you clean all that stuff out? That's what didn't make sense to me is, like, they came in to get their purses. So their purses – because, okay, I used to do a lot of Christmas caroling at, like, fancy private parties. And so I've been to a lot of these parties, not as a guest, but as a <laughs> as a uh, an employee singing. But – um. They're, usually their purses and their fur coats and stuff like that are, like, in a bedroom or something, like yeah. a little guest bedroom. So, like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, it seems like, like you said, they would have already robbed those. Like, why didn't they just get all the purses yeah, from there's, them? Yeah, there's a lot about this whole article as we progress that doesn't make sense to me. But do go on. Okay. So, an LAPD public information officer who declined to provide his full name <laughs> said the suspects fled the scene by the time the police arrived. The spokesman had no information on whether the suspects had been identified or apprehended, he said. The homeowner said he has attempted to contact the LAPD multiple times to turn over security footage, which shows the suspects walking through the front door, but has been unable to reach the department. That's weird. That's weird. A detective was supposed to call the women who were robbed, but that hasn't happened yet either, he said. And and also, full disclosure, I've called uh, 911, like... 
maybe two or three times in the past year. One for like a like a coyote that was menacing this chick. And then one because this dude was probably vax passing out in his while driving a delivery truck. He was all over the place and he was out of control and everything yeah. like that. And like I all right, I call nine one one and like you can't get anybody they don't pick up the phone. Yeah, we run hold yeah, for Nine one one doesn't pick up. Yeah, that's scary. That's really scary. The robbery is one in a recent wave of property crime in affluent areas of Los Angeles, including upticks in robberies in upscale corridors like Melrose Avenue and a spate of follow-home robberies on the west side. L.A. Police Chief Michael Moore, (laughs) or Mikael Moore, M-I-C-H-E-L, that's a weird spelling, announced Tuesday that he is setting up a task force to apprehend follow-home robbers, saying the department has not seen violent holdups like this in decades. The trend, which has targeted celebrities and upscale restaurants in recent months, turned deadly early Tuesday morning when a man was shot and killed during an attempted robbery outside Bossa Nova Restaurant in Hollywood. A day later, Beverly Hills philanthropist Jacqueline Avant was shot dead in her Truesdale Estates home. Police linked the crime to the arrest of a 29-year-old L.A. man with a lengthy criminal record on suspicion of burglary and robbery. While robberies are up 3.2% this year citywide compared with 2020, but down compared with 2019, the more alarming trend is that suspects are more often using firearms, Moore told the L.A. police commissioners. Violent crime in L.A., however, has notably increased. Homicides are up 46.7% compared with 2019, while shooting victims are up 51.4%, according to police data. Whoa. And that's it. So, we can take this story <clears throat> at face value. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you read it from a couple of different positions. Say you read it from the average L.A. Time husk reader. Oh, good heavens. Things are... We should, we should get the gun out of the top of the closet and, and, and put the shells somewhere where we might be able to get to them when when they're breaking down the door and we need to, you know, like that typical mm-hmm. thinking, you know, like, or, or, you know, if you ever watch the, uh, Patton Oswald's wife, uh, documentary about her pursuit of the California serial killer, they literally considered buying a fake gun that made fake gun noises. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's the kind of people you're dealing with that read the LA times. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> we can take it from that and, uh, we have fear. Crime is out of control. Uh, LAPD isn't doing a really great job. Uh, uh, even even the rich, even our betters, are being preyed upon. Mm-hmm. We could read it from the the betters uh, point of view, and the betters are like, oh my gosh, you know, we're targets. Let us not go to the restaurants. Let us not go where the hoy or the poloi goes. Let us continue to do more online shopping. And again, we have more economic stranglehold, stranglehold on businesses, margin businesses, like even upscale restaurants uh, that have just been through the worst two years of their lives. So now these people are being told repeatedly that they're being followed home and targeted. So uh, rich people are very uh, into res- risk assessment and they will say to themselves, well, this is not worth it. Mm-hmm. And they'll do what they've been doing, which is coming down to El- Orange County. And clog, jamming up Archie, clogging it up. Uh, it was funny. They all vote, you know, for more measures and Democrats and, you know, Orwellian overtures up there in uh, L.A. And then the entire time that the lockdown was, they come down here to the, the county that they make the most fun of mm-hmm. and clog up all our reservations and hotels and just generally act like assholes. Yeah. But we know. 
we, we we surfers we we surf crowd we we beach people we know we yeah. know we know who you are <laughs> wait my voice cracked on that one we know who you wait still cracked <clears throat> we know who you are okay there you go that's the winner i got the line <laughs> So we could look at it from all of those things, but I would like to look at it from the deep state perspective. Yes. What is being accomplished here? Well, I mean, with the restaurants, they're just making it even harder for these restaurants to survive because now their best customers are now going to no longer, that that have kind of endless money to spend there are now not going to want to go there anymore. Yes. I shall give you one ding, ding, ding of the bell. You've gotten one point right. Okay. Uh, what else is this accomplishing? Well, I mean, it is... Oh, there's one other perspective we might want to talk about. Okay. The poors! The poors. What about... The poors! Well, a lot of those people who've been engaging in the looting or the civil disobedience and have been whipped up by, you know, uh, these cries that the entire system is broken and racist and billionaires and millionaires have all your money and all these things... You know, and that, that any time a, a person of color gets shot or wronged in any way, shape, or form, we must take to the streets and begin to loot. And, you know, like, uh, vengeance is warranted, and, and our enemies are the MAGA people, and you should punch them in the face, and you should do everything at every level you can. So um, the poors have just been told how the game works. The poors have just been weaponized, which that is a big thing that Catherine Austin Fitz talks about, which is the weaponization of populations. So now the poors who can't figure this shit out on their own, like, I was going to go do a robbery, and I just thought I'd kill my enemy, Little J. Maybe that's his name. It's not a very good rap voice, but I don't want to be a racist, so I'm making him a hillbilly. Okay. And, and he goes to Del Taco, so I thought I'd hit him with my gat right there in the parking lot and make a big score. <laughs> you know, like, just, like, that's, I mean, a lot of people who are poor... Uh, in in the inner city and are criminal are stupid. Now, I didn't say poor people or inner city people, but I did add that criminal part. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they need to be encouraged, weaponized about how the elites and globalists would actually like to use them. So if we look at this article from a fear porn perspective, which fear porn is just ha 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 ha. That's like that's how the media feels about any article like this. This is just clickbait. Ding a ling a ling wing bing a jing a choo. They're making big clicks. They're making money. They're relevant. Maybe they'll even get on CNN. Maybe they'll be there with Anderson Cooper and his problem glasses talking about all that crime out of control in LA. <laughs> you know, l- dare to dream. Dare to dream, journalism student. Um, who probably isn't even a journalism student. Probably the average journalist probably has some degree in like race relations or environmental studies Mm -hmm. and now they're doing reporting in air quotes but i think this article is intoxicating but when you step back and you think about it and you look at it it's definitely some sort of fear porn um i think these things are going on but maybe maybe they are maybe they aren't sometimes i talk to people in la and they're like it's not that bad and sometimes i talk to people and they're like it's pretty bad so L.A. is a vast urban sprawl with a lot of different microcosm cities within it. And what goes on on one block in Beverly Hills does not necessarily mean that the same thing is going on one block south at Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, which one time I barely got out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyways, uh, what you're doing here with the poors who read the L.A. Times and the article, even if you use social media, and we know that big tech is complicit, 
and these kind of things, they could make sure that the people who engage in these kind of activities are alerted to what the game plan is. And the game plan is, hey, rich people have holiday parties. Rich people are all afraid of COVID, so they're leaving their purses here. And if you have a gun and you go get stuff, jing-a-ling-a-bing-ding-dong-choo, the cops aren't even even going to investigate it. Yeah. I mean, true. it's almost like, are you are you telling them what to do? It's advertising. Yeah. And then, so then the rich people are afraid. And, oh, good heavens. All these things are coming down on us and blah, blah, blah. And... We know we've defunded the police thanks to this kind of brilliance. It's it's almost as if they're trying to create a crisis situation in which every day everybody feels constantly more and more unsafe. If only there were a tyrannical totalitarian savior to come and deliver us and and maybe have some sort of like national police force that can handle all these things and get to the bottom of it and solve crimes and protect our wealth and holiday parties. Protect us from the poors. <laughs> That's what this article feels like from a deep state perspective. Yeah, very smart. I agree. And uh, I don't know. I, I'd rather take our chances uh, against these people running amok, which I don't want to do, but... Rather than the state-run police force or whatever, the Stasi. Well, the key to the whole thing is that what most people don't believe, uh, don't understand is that your county sheriff, your local sheriff, uh, is your biggest defense of freedom. Mm-hmm. And it's the, it's the thing that they hate. That sheriff can kind of make how the laws are going to be enforced. Uh, your Second Amendment rights, especially in, like, in Orange County and San Bernardino and even in L.A. County, the sheriffs have all said, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. We're not doing the mandate. We're going to write, you know, uh, uh, concealed carry permits, um, blah, blah, blah. And so what What this makes me feel, this article um, informs, weaponizes the masses to tell them how to do this kind of stuff. And that you can now go to your favorite high-end restaurant that you couldn't afford. And you can jack people outside for an Hermes bag or a Louis Vuitton bag. Or, you know, it's not like Chipotle. It's not like little Jay there at the Del Taco. You're going to score big. You pull this caper right. And look at these two boots. The cops didn't even want to look at the CCT footage. They yeah. just let it go. It's like free money. Oh mo money, mo money, mo money. <laughs> there was a similar one near us, too. I don't think we mentioned it on the show. Um, at, like, I would say our fanciest mall that's near us. Yeah. Um, that has, like, all the high-end stores. I mean, it has normal stores, too, but it has, like, super expensive stores in it. Um, that mall, there's a restaurant that is like on the edge, yeah. like the outer edge Same of thing, it. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, opens out into the parking lot and there was a woman there dining on the patio and armed masked, uh, gunmen, like guys with guns came into the patio area and held, like made the people get on the ground and they, all they took was this one lady's purse. So we're assuming it was like a $10,000 plus Hermes bag. Cause I don't know why else you would just take a purse yeah, and leave. Some DKN yeah. So, I mean, it was probably a super expensive purse and then I guess that would be worth it for them. But like, that was really crazy because yeah. that is not something that would normally happen. It's there. a thing that's happening. And I, and I think it should be reported on. I just, I begin to, I begin, you know, like when you have things coming out of, uh, well, Glenn Greenwald was talking about it today, but the White House is now meeting with the various news outlets to get them to reframe the narrative on the failing economy. So what we have is global elitism constantly attempting to manipulate the media 
But I think the thing that we need to begin to look at now is what I call the zombie army. And the zombie army is your population. And the real the real zombie army is the one coming over the border. But your 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 sort of criminal population, your inner city and stuff like that, you really do need to understand that that is that is a weaponized group of people that are serving the elites. They've served them in votes, destroying the blue cities, and now they're being weaponized to go after the elites to to, to create fear fear and get those people to start um, getting in quote unquote lockstep with uh, a national police force. You know, really like. It's interesting the the moves made with the Capitol Police Force to turn them into a national police force, all of this kind of stuff. I'll talk to people and they'll say, you know, if we can just make it to the election, we're going to win. Everything's going to be great, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't think so. And, and again, my biggest fear is that the people that are in charge right now uh, on both sides and everything like that, these are people that are not acting like they're going to be held accountable to the people with just uh, elections or votes or any kind of responsibility, these are people who are acting like they have unquestioned authority and will for a long time. It's just that you don't know it and you haven't figured it out yet. Mm -hmm. But let's talk a little bit about some information that surfaced on uh, Dr. Evil, Klaus Schwab, and what that's really about. And this is a great article written by a German guy, and it kind of put it all together for me. Because we all talk about, you know, like George Soros or Klaus Schwab or Bill Gates, and then the media makes fun of that and puts it out like, you know, like we're all conspiracy theorists and stuff like that. But I think it's important that you understand what the World Economic Forum is and how it came about and who Klaus Schwab is. And then as I go through this article, I want you to notice how people... um, come to the forefront and become our leaders once they kiss the ring. It's a very interesting article. And uh, you can hold the mic right there so that I can speak into it like some kind of NBR announcer <laughs> whose voice is dry leaves and smoky scotch. <laughs> like a jazz, public radio jazz station guy. Yeah. Um... Economist Ernest Wolf believes that a hidden alliance of political and corporate leaders is exploiting the pandemic with the aim of crashing national economies and introducing a global digital currency. I do believe, just stepping out, Nicole here, that um, I do believe there's some things we need to be concerned about about the vaccine. We've talked about that a lot on the show. But at the end of the day, it's the digital currency that really is the ring of Sauron for them. And it's really the slave collar for you. Yeah, then they can really control you. Yeah. How is it that more than 190 governments from all over the world ended up dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic in almost exactly the same manner? Mm -hmm. With lockdowns, mass mandates, and vaccination cards now being commonplace everywhere. That was a big question I asked. Like, it's, it's amazing the messaging and how they all, like, even now with Omicron, they're all out there spreading that this is out of control and it's fast paced. And like the people who found it, they're like, it's it's not that bad. It's like, it's not even like having a cold. It's, it's nothing. Oh, but it's all out of control. Lockdowns, like they're using everything all at once together to continue to move us farther along toward tyranny. So this article just gives a, a pretty great idea of that. 
Um, the answer may be may lie in the Young Global Leaders School, which was established and managed by Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, and that many of today's prominent political and business leaders pass through on their way to the top. I think you'd be surprised about some of the names that are in here. The German economist, journalist, and author Ernest Wolf, or as we say in Germany, in Deutschland, Ernst Wolf, Ernst Wolf <laughs> has revealed some facts about Schwab's quote-unquote young global leaders school that are relevant for understanding world events during the pandemic in a video from the German Corona Committee podcast. While Wolf is mainly known as a critic of globalist financialist system, recently he has focused on bringing the to light what he sees as the hidden agenda behind the anti-COVID measures being enacted around the world as we speak. Mysterious beginnings. The story begins with the World Economic Forum, WEF, which is an NGO founded by Klaus Schwab. Now, you hear the World Economic Forum a lot, and you think it's this big, like, UN thing, and you think, oh, it's been around. No, 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 no. Klaus Schwab established this when he was 32 years old in 71. Yeah, I never knew that. This is, this is just some group. Yeah. But I think currently it's in charge of the world mm-hmm. when you really look at what's going on. Um, the WEF is best known to the public for the annual conferences it holds in Davos, Switzerland, that group. Each January, that aim is to bring together political and business leaders from around the world to discuss the problems of the day. Today is one of the most important, today it is one of the most important networks in the world for the globalist power elite being funded by approximately a thousand multinational corporations now how do you get a thousand multinational corporations to do this well you do it through collateral which is compromising them but one of the big ways you do it is you do it through uh crt by telling uh, people if you don't support our policies that means you don't care and you don't want to be a corporation that doesn't care because then you would be bigots and they knew to go after corporations with this line of thinking. They're neither left nor right. These people are power hungry. But they knew that going to conservative cor- corporations or doing anything with conservatives didn't matter because conservatives don't do not do that. They don't call corporations bad because you don't think like they do. But the left will say, if your corporation you know, doesn't hold these meetings, then you guys are bigots. And then it even gets worse. Like, look at the Papa John scandal. Look at how they got together and assassinated that dude out of his own company because he wouldn't because he fell for their trap basically <clears throat> the WEF World Economic Forum which was originally called the European Management Forum until 1987 succeeded in bringing together 440 executives from 31 nations already at its very first meeting in February 1971 which, as Wolf points out, was an unexpected achievement for someone like Schwab, who had very little international or professional experience prior to this. Very little. And yet, here he comes. Hmm. 71. And Schwab is 32. So that would make Schwab born in 39. Is that right? Well, I mean, that was 50 years ago. So if he was 32, then he'd be... 82 now, but no. you're talking... What year, when was Schwab when born? Was he born? He's born in 39. Okay. And where was Schwab born? Uh, Germany? 
über alles mhm. Deutschland. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wonder. I wonder how he got this. I wonder how he got all these ideas and this backing. And you know, I mean, I wonder how many times he's been to South America. Depends what the Nazi breakaway would society. be interesting. Um, Wolf also points out that Schwab, while there, <clears throat> was at the Harvard Business School, had been in the pr- process of planning a management forum of their own, and it is possible that Harvard Harvard ended up delegating the task of organizing it to him. You know, Harvard, who has all those skull and bones, CIA, George Bush, all of them doing weird things in a coffin, uh, you know, yeah. bat- jacked up stuff. The forum initially was brought together <clears throat> brought together people from the economic field, but before long it began attracting politicians, prominent figures in the media, including from BBC and CNN, and even celebrities. I wonder how they attracted them. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Epstein could have anything to do with that attraction. I think it's possible. Schwab's young global leaders, incubator of the Great Reset. You owns nothing. You will be happy. You will live in the pod, eating the bugs. And he really does talk like that. He does. It's crazy. I'm, I'm glad because I've got that accent in my, my hip pocket. <laughs> it's not like the lame-ass excuse all the comedians used when Obama was president. Oh, well, we just can't imitate him. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> you're, just, you're, just, you're just a fake, weak, tough guy. Mm-hmm. In 1992, Schwab established a parallel institution, the Global Leaders of Tomorrow School, which was reestablished as Young Global Leaders in 2004. Attendees of the school must apply for admission and are then subjected to a rigorous selection process. Members of the school's very first class in 1992 already included many who went on to become some important liberal political figures. Now, you're probably thinking a bunch of dorks. I mean, these are all dorks. But like, just like wannabes and everything like that? No. Here we get into some people who went to this school in 1992. Oh, look, Angela Merkel. Wow. Nicholas Sar- uh, Merkel is the current leader of Germany. Sarkozy was the leader of France. Tony Blair was the leader of England and was involved in the whole invasion of Iraq. But we know that. <clears throat> there are currently about 1,300 graduates of this school. Hmm, seems very select. And the list of alumni includes several names of those who went on to become leaders of the health institutions of their respective nations. Mm-hmm. You mean the health institutions that all in lockstep began to lock everybody down and say that we needed to destroy the economy? We needed to wage war on our own economies yeah. to, uh, well, the Medusa showed me a local real estate listing. I think it was Friday. And you have to understand the real estate here along the coast can range anywhere from $28 million to $56 million. The latest action acquisition was in a private enclave 12-house community located in Laguna Cove, which, if you ever see it from the road, you'll realize there are other worlds than yours, and those people live in that world. Um, it was a $28 million house uh, acquired by a big pharma executive. Hmm, I wonder where he got all that money. I wonder <laughs> yeah. where he got that money. Was he selling Aston? <laughs> which is... No. Aspirin. Aspirin for Roland. No, we don't say Stephen King. Oh, that's right. We, we say Roland. Roland fan. Yeah, Aston. <laughs> I like this Aston. Um, four of them are former and current health ministers for Germany, including Jean Spahn, who has been the federal minister of health since 2018. Nothing from you, Carr. Uh, Philip Rosler 
who was Minister of Health from 2009 to 2011. He was appointed the WEF's Managing Director by Schwab in 2014. Other notable names on this school's roster are Jacinda Ardern, Prime Minister of New Zealand. She's a piece of work. Oh, she is a she is a piece of work. She's the one that just recently said, um, "What was it? Uh, surprise! You're always going to need to be vaccinated, and you're wearing masks forever." And she's also the one. This is like the one that got under my skin the most and made me so angry. The reporter um, said, "So." It seems like you're instituting uh, two classes of citizens. Um, is that correct? Because it really feels like that. But I can't imagine that's what you're doing. She's like, oh, no, that's exactly. Yes, that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. And she's such a useful idiot about the whole thing. No one will be more surprised when she gets wood chipped by her own people mm-hmm. um, or us. Emmanuel Macron, well, we know who that kid is. Mm-hmm. He, he's a weirdo. He's in charge of France, a, a Rothschild's banker. Yep. Um, Sebastian Kurtz, who was until recently the Chancellor of Austria, which, as I understand, is quite the state of freedom oh, right yeah. now. I mean, <laughs> opposite. <laughs> um, Victor Orban, Prime Minister of Hungary. That place ain't doing so great. Jean-Claude Juncker, former Prime Minister of Luxembourg. Well, I mean, that's basically, you know, Luxembourg is weird. And, a pre- and president of the Union European Union Commission, Analea Baerbach. She's the one that a lot of people, I think, say right now is basically the de facto leader of Europe. Oh. And she's the one that's saying we're going to the two classes of society. She was in the news all last week. The leader of the German Greens, who was German Green Party, who was the first candidate for Chancellor of the Year's federal election and who is still the run- running to be Merkel's successor. Who else do we find? Oh, my gosh. California Governor Gavin Newsom is on the list. What a surprise. He was selected for the class of 2005, as well as former presidential candidate and current U.S. Secretary of Transport Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. And just so you guys know, he's gay. <laughs> oh, is he? He's gay. His defense for everything in life is, by the way, I'm gay. And here, like, if you didn't catch this one, he intimated that statistically... It's most likely that certain presidents were already yes. gay. Yeah, I saw yes. that. Yes. He just he just went ahead and slandered, you know, forty five presidents. Well, I mean, I think Obama's gay. So he <laughs> probably you knows. You know. Which I why would you do that, Pete? You might be president. Don't you want to be the first gay president? Oh, you can say openly gay. Mm-hmm. Having been selected for the class of two thousand nineteen. All of the now this is the important part. All of these po- politicians who were in office during the past two years before the favored harsh responses to the COVID-19 pandemic, and which also happened to considerably increase their respective governments' power. Um, but the school's list of alumni is not limited to political leaders. We also find many of the captains of private industry there, including oh my gosh, Bill Gates, wow. Amazon's Jeff Bezos, Virgin Records' Richard Branson, and the Clinton Foundation's Chelsea Clinton proving that you can fail without that you can you can fail upward without ever having to do a thing (laughs) again all of them expressed support for the global response to the pandemic and many reaped considerable prop jeff bezos became the richest man in the world because of the pandemic bill gates made a lot of money and is effectively the leader of the g8 which you might as well call him the leader of the world right now chelsea clinton's keeping her parents out of the wood chipper Wolf believes that the people behind the WEF and the Global Leaders School are the ones who really determine who will become political leaders, although he stresses that he doesn't believe that Schwab himself is the one making the decisions, but is merely a facilitator. 
He further points out that the school's alumni include not only Americans and Europeans, but also for people from Asia, Africa, and South America, indicating that the reach is truly worldwide. In 2012, Schwab and the WF founded yet another institution, the Global Shapers Community, which bring, it's amazing these people get to make all the decisions about our culture and we don't get any decisions. If we vote for this thing, you guys are bigots. If we say we want this guy, our election gets stolen. If we say, well, we don't want to do this policy, they go, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're deplorables and you need to be rounded up into camps. These are all, I'm not making, I mean, like, there literally are camps now. Yeah. Starting with Australia, and there are other camps other places, too. Um, Wolf believes that it is yet another proving ground where future political leader, leaders are being selected, vetted, and groomed before being positioned for the world's pol political apparatus. Wolf points out that very few graduates of the Global Leader School list it on their CVs. Now, that's interesting. Oh, that's so weird. They go to the school. It's it's one giant big... Uh, well, mom listens to the podcast. One giant big group hug of, of, you know, global tyrants. And they don't want to put it on their CV and let you know that they went there. Yeah, some of the, most of the most powerful people in the world have gone there and you don't want to list it on your CV. I mean, yeah. that there's obviously a weird reason for that. Who else hides their achievements? Well, the mafia. The mafia hides their when they mm -hmm. when they knife you know Sal in the alley because he didn't play pay the bucksheesh, they they keep that a secret too. That's true. You know, so this is this is like that. Yeah. See, they're like the mafia, but nicer. They're here to help us. They're not like the mafia where they want to control everything and you know, blah 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 and do crime and you know uh, basically bully you unless you do it their way. These are helpful mafiosos. <laughs> Um, but, 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 but Wolf suggests that the school system seems to include even critics of the system among its ranks. Well, of course, you, you want to mind control them, or could it be that you want to compromise them? Another thing that the Global Leaders graduates have in common is that most of them have very sparse CVs. Spar now, this is another part, back to the CVs. Sparse CVs apart from their participation in the program prior, big word, prior to being elevated to positions of power. So this is a very, again, um, well, let me think of another organization that basically makes people. What could that be? They, oh, and the mafia. That's right, the mob. The mob has made people. Like, you're kind of nobody until you're made, and then you get to run the dice racket down at the docks or whatever it is. So again, there are many mafia-like uh, crossovers here between these world saviors and the criminal mafia that the FBI used to go after before they started going after American citizens. Yeah. Um, Schwab's Yes Men in Action, given the growing discontent with the anti-COVID measures put into the practice by the school's graduates who are now national leaders, meaning these people are all on the hook for your destroyed economy and your stolen two years of your life and the potential to steal many more years of your life. Wolf's, Wolf believes it is possible that these people were selected due to their willingness to do whatever they are told. So these are not great thinkers. These are not rugged individualists. These are not. These are yes people. These are the good Germans. These are the Germans that will load the trains. When you like, and and I think a lot of people have this defense in their mind that they're going to appeal to the police. Don't put me on the trains. Don't vaccinate me. Don't do these things. And like, you know, that's right, American apple pie. We're all in this together. No, there are people like this, and they will be. Like, look at them. They they say, there's a British British chick. 
oh, I feel it's so unsafe to have masks, uh, not have masks, and everybody should be in masks, and I'm just fearful for our country. And then she's out partying in the weekend at a discotheque, and she doesn't have a mask on. I mean, that's that's not an isolated story. These these are sociopathic people who will do and say whatever it takes, then get caught getting their hair styled, Lori Lightfoot and Nancy Pelosi, and then punish you for pointing it out. Yeah. I don't think I need to read much more. We will post the article. Mm -hmm. But I think that we all needed a little highlight on the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. And I would say, in my opinion, right now... Well, let me back up. The Medusa and I are on the hunt for Mr. Global. And Mr. Global, in certain groups and circles, is... What a lot of people believe is, and Mr. Global could be a group of people, um, but Mr. Global is is the prime motivator behind all of this. It, it could be who Prince Charles was referencing in that speech that we talked about, where he said corporations and governments needed to give him all the power, all the money, so that he could be supranational, so that he could be he could be beyond the will of the people. Do I think that Klaus Schwab is Mr. Global? I don't. I don't know that he's Mr. Global, um, but I think he's definitely as 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 the art. The word used in there was facilitator. Yeah. So this is a person who, since 1972, which is really not that long ago, has basically placed a spider web-like network throughout the entire world of people who, at this critical juncture, when it just so happened that uh, a bat virus, people were eating bats. And then it just suddenly exploded and destroyed everything. And yeah, we're the my favorite thing now is to hear people say, um, "When COVID's over, it's never going to be over." You should wrap your mind around that. It's never ever going to be. It will be over when you decide it's over. I've said that from the beginning. It will. The tyranny will end when you make it end. That's the next step. But if you continue to do nothing, if we continue to do nothing, if I continue to do nothing, then it's not going to be over. These people are going to bang COVID like uh, John Bonham beat the drums in Led Zeppelin. It's never going to stop. And they're control freaks. And the one thing about it, people can tell you about anyone who's been around control freaks is control freaks never have enough control. Like if you if, if, if they say, here, sit in this chair and, and you do that and you comply they're going to add a new twist every time because that's the drug for them. That's the addiction is continue like the, all through the pandemic, you would see them say things that made no sense. They just wanted to see if they could say it. And then they would go on vacation to Mexico. You know, they would tell you not to get on an airplane. They would go on vacation. They would tell you not to get your hair done. They would get their hair done. It would be, it would be boorish to just sit there and repeat the amount of times and instances that happened, but it did. It's a sickness. And if you think like, like, just stop for a minute and ask yourself, like, what what makes you ever think COVID's going to end? Like, do you think that there's going to be a cure? They did. They gave you a vaccine. Do you think anyone's working on any other kind of cure that destroys COVID? They're suppressing them. They, they yeah, exist, there's, yeah. they're suppressing Yeah, them. but I'm not hearing of any warp speed to destroy COVID. The, the big cure that the government and the world and even Trump could come up with was, uh, here, let's give you this vaccine that clearly has problems. I think it's injuring people. I think we've made that case here. 
But even they're admitting the efficacy, the effectiveness, isn't long-lasting. The thing that they're not telling you is it might actually be causing more COVID. Um, so there's no thing where COVID goes out of our lives. You have to, you have to get that out of your skull. COVID's not going away because they're never, ever going to let it go away. Remember, I, I don't know if I said it on this podcast or maybe I, I had a tweet about it, but um, if you hire someone to fix a problem, they'll never fix that problem because that would mean the end of the paycheck. For the world government to fix COVID would mean the end of a need for a world government until they fully installed it. And when they fully installed it, they can do anything they want. They are no longer accountable to you, especially with that digital currency. They could they could come out the day after digital currency and say to you, hey, this was all a con. Uh, there really was no such thing as COVID. It was just the flu. And we made it worse by intubating people and killing them and all these kinds of stuff. Like, it was a big joke, and we played it on you, Rubes. Ha, ha. They could say that on the day that world digital currency comes out. And you know what you could do about it at that point? Nothing. They can tell you the truth then. They won't because they're addicted to lying and they think that lies and secrets mean power. But that's what the, the, the COVID's not going away. There's no cure. It's not going to There's no herd immunity because they're doing everything. They, they don't even believe in natural herd immunity anymore. The herd immunity that they talk about now is everybody being vaccinated. With a vaccine that's clearly not working. Yeah, with a vaccine that. So Good these time. are not people that want to fix the problem. These, this is this is your average Caltrans road crew. Oh no, we've got to tear it all up again and fix it. Otherwise, we'd go home and not get paid to work. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, you need all 11 guys standing there watching the one guy work. Yep, we sure do. You know, you ever been around Teamsters? That's your government. That's your global government. Is Teamsters, man. Sleeping in their truck while everybody's working because you got to have X amount of guys sleeping in their truck. Yeah. It's bad. So it's over when you decide it's over. It's over. It ends when you decide that it ends. But for these people, they are installing world government. They are installing digital currency. They are installing our slavery. And it's up to us to stop them. I uh, dropped um, a uh, uh, thing on how to write books, book descriptions, and we had some questions, so I'll answer those real quick. If you subscribe to the podcast, you get that insider content, so we would appreciate the subscription if you get a chance. Keeps the podcast alive, and we'll probably need it for bail money if that's even possible for us once they get tired of our rhetoric. But maybe, maybe we'll get lucky and get killed. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I always think that every day. Today is a great day for the deep state to kill me. We did have a weird incident about a week ago. I'm trying to remember. The one that you name? woke me up in the middle of the night over. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was weird. So I wake up. Often I wake up every two to three hours. Tormented by the humming chorus. <laughs> no, I just wake dreams. up a lot in the middle of the night. It's, it's a bummer, but it just happens. So it wasn't unusual, but it was like, was it three or four in the morning? I don't remember. I think four. But um, so I get up and I walk across the hallway to the restroom and I notice a vehicle, a, a big, like a van, idling right across the street. Um, like a, a workman's van, I guess. Um, yeah. And 
So I thought, well, that's weird. Because once in a while there might be a car idling and maybe they were dropping someone off or something from a really late night. But this was not that. So I kind of like go down a couple stairs so they can't really see me through the window. And I'm like, I just like watching for a little bit. And it's hard to see because there's this weird floodlight thing on the side of the van that's shining, which made it extra weird too. So it was a little hard to see inside the cab or whatever you would call it. But I could tell there was like a driver and a passenger and they both seemed to be on some sort of devices. Again, I couldn't tell because I couldn't see really well, but maybe cell phones or maybe other type things like that. So anyway, I thought it was weird enough and a weird enough hour and it was Thanksgiving morning, remember? Oh, at yeah. four in the morning. So that was extra weird because yeah. that, no if it's delivery people, yeah. like for some reason have shown, having shown up really early for a delivery, which I don't think that would happen, but Thanksgiving morning, no one's delivering on Thanksgiving, I don't think. So anyway, I think like, oh, I don't wake up, I don't want to wake up Nick because I want him to get sleep. But it was weird enough that I was like, I should wake him up and see what he thinks about it. So I did. And what did you think? Well, oh, <laughs> you went, you went outside on our upstairs little balcony and... In flagrante delicto. I don't know if people know what that means. It means naked. But, and like, there's like a wall kind of thing where you were like yeah. covered, but still. Um, and, and, I, you and you just I glared stood there at them. and stared at them. I glared at them <laughs> and then they saw me. I was basically doing the scene from Once Upon a Time in America where, where Leonardo DiCaprio, or yeah, in Hollywood where Leonardo DiCaprio goes out with his pitcher full of margaritas and, and like basically tells the serial killers not to idle in front of his house, which is like a huge pet peeve for me. I hate people who idle in front of my house forever. So I just went out there. It's like windy and cold. It's four o'clock in the morning and they see me and, and they just see me glaring, glaring at them most, <laughs> like mostly naked. I don't think they can see the, the goods. Right. And, uh, and then, and then they, they take off. Yeah. It must have freaked like, him out. You know, like as if they were guilty. Yeah. They're <laughs> guilty of being seen doing something. Yeah. So that was weird. But if you get a chance to support the podcast, we'll probably need some jump money or buy some crypto and move to South America or whatever. But if not, we just enjoy doing it. Uh, it's an easy monthly subscription. You can do it over at nickcold.substack.com and you can join and be part of the, the whole thing and you get some insider content. Right now, I'm currently dropping some chapters on how to write books. The first uh, the first uh, podcast that we did for the insiders on the book writing ser- series, which I'm calling The Simple Art of Being a Great Writer, is crucial for every uh, person who wants to, who's ever had it in them to write a book. And it's called How to Write a Book Description. I do it in six lines. And I'm telling you, if you ever wanted to write a book before you actually write the book, write the book description. And that is such a guide and an outline for you to get it done. If you subscribe to the podcast, you get the insider content. If you don't want to subscribe to the content, just go over to Gumroad and buy the class. I, I put it up there for just the price of a cup of coffee for me. And uh, I get these questions on how to write books a lot from people. And I'm kind of like, you know, I can't just keep saying the same thing over and over. So I just decided to record those things and share them with people and they can buy me a cup of coffee. Yeah. So our friend Tom KP had a couple questions on that one. And he says, uh, first, how does the book pitch work for paperback copies that just have cool artwork on the back? For example, I bought a copy of Legionnaire for my brother for Christmas. I'm so familiar with the Galaxy's Edge storyline that I didn't even think to look at the back cover to see that there was no, no description. How does that help a potential reader if they haven't looked at the description on Amazon? So I didn't even know that about Legionnaire. Yeah, you? well, uh, yeah, because, I mean, it's... It, 
like generally when people buy print on demand copies off of Amazon, they've already read the description. Oh, yeah. So we just send it like it's a good idea to put the description on the back. But most of us indie authors are so used like we don't end up in bookstores like right now, like Forgotten Ruin is in a bookstore or it's in a it's in a gun shop. Um, and we're hoping and we're trying to talk to Costco and um, uh, a few other. And I think I think Amazon will actually start selling physical books in their stores. And we've been getting a lot of big like physical orders from Amazon for the warehouse. So it's just it's just generally for indie authors. We don't need the book description on the back of our book, um, which you should put it anywhere. You should put it that, there anyways, because it's it's wasted real estate. We, we prefer like at Galaxy's Edge, we make the back look cool or we'll put in some cool logo art just to make the book present a little better. Um, in the bookstore, you didn't have a book description page. You had the back of the book. So it's kind of, that's kind of an older method. It's still a valid method. Like if, like if, if Legionnaire or Forgotten Ruin ended up at Costco, we'd probably go ahead and make sure it had back matter description. Okay, cool. And then he says, second, I'm one of those few readers that doesn't focus on the book pitch on the back cover. I read all of the publisher's information given, and then I read reviews of the book. That determines whether or not I want to read it. Will that make it harder for me to construct a killer book pitch? Thanks. No, I don't know why it would make it harder for you. You just have to, like, you know, the book pitch is six lines. Uh, it starts with the the, ta- the opening tagline and then uh, the world builder line. And then the, uh, what is the other? There's There's three lines. The world builder line, um, and then we move to like the final line is that this meets that line, and then we end with the tagline. Um, oh yeah, it's uh, it's uh, I, I came up with a clever name for it, but it's it's basically like, um, oh, see here I am selling my own book pitch. That's, yeah, I was like, that's why to buy <laughs> that's the why, class. That's why you got to buy the remember. class because I got it in there. <laughs> but it's just four lines that help you to describe your book. Four or six. It's well, the two taglines are like in a world oh, okay. where, you know, or, you know, or blah, blah, blah. But these are these are the lines that help you to um, describe the book to a prospective reader where this really comes from is it comes from Hollywood and it's called the elevator pitch. The reason it's called the, the elevator pitch is because screenwriters, most buildings are not tall in Hollywood. And screenwriters would be able to get into an elevator with an executive for for three floors, and deliver your 25 lines, your 25 words of your pitch, which was really four lines, and take the the uh, person who might make your day and actually buy your script from the top to the bottom of the story really fast. And we found that that makes an excellent book description on Amazon. And so this teaches you how to do it. So even though you use those methods to obtain your next reading thing. You, sitting down tom to coalesce this idea in your head before you write word one using a killer book description like i've outlined in the class will make your job so much easier and if you know where your story begins and you know where it ends and you're willing to sort of use a roller coaster method of just connecting those two dots in your manuscript one you will write your manuscript much faster you will actually get it done because you know the ending. That's the biggest problem for a lot of uh, a lot of writers is they don't know what the end of the book is. They're just kind of like feeling their way and everything like that. And I found that you get that book description and you put it where you read it every day before you write, or you just keep it in your mind, or maybe you print it and put it down there by the side. That book description will keep you tracking on your manuscript, keeping it in theme, keep you motivated about it, and and 
it'll match what you ultimately write and it'll be sort of like a map and a guide for you to get there that's like a map is a great way to think of it um, it's just a mini map and it's a great start and I'm not a big fan of like the whole outlining process and world building and getting all, I think people get lost in that I think the best thing that you can do as a writer is to sit down and start writing as much as you can once a day six days a week and so I'm gonna I'm gonna begin I think my next class is gonna be the basics of you know as someone who doesn't know taking like from not not the writing a manuscript but what do you do once you've got the manuscript and what you should do and then after that I'll probably do a course on how to write a manuscript and again I'll keep all these cheap but if you're a subscriber to the podcast you get them for free because I'll make sure to put them in here and then you can have them if you don't want to subscribe but you do want the information just run over to Gumroad and get that hey we made a long podcast today that was fun final thoughts Final thoughts. Um, I don't know. It just keeps getting crazier every day. But I like what we said in the beginning. Like, let's try to somehow keep having fun and good senses of humor, even as it's so dark out there. And um, it's so nice to, like, be united with other people who kind of um, see what's going on as well so that we don't feel alone. So I like I like our community here. It's great. I couldn't have said it better. That's the podcast.